Hello, how are you? Welcome to season two, episode two of Be Bougie, Be True, Be You. I'm Charlotte Jones. I hope you had a fabulous Easter weekend, whatever you got up to. Obviously, the lockdown restrictions are starting to lift here in the UK, which is quite exciting. So hopefully you got to see some loved ones in a way that you haven't been able to in a while. I was able to go, I was going to call it boating. This is this is how much experience I have with this. I went on a rowing boat with my goddaughters and their mum, who is my oldest friend from school. And oh my goodness, we were really in like a girl boss mood. We were like, we can do this. And we'd figured it out, but we couldn't quite do it at times. We ended up in the area you're not supposed to go in. We got stuck. We kind of gave up at one point and thought someone will come and rescue us. And then after a little while, we we're like, okay, no one's coming. We're going to have to do this ourselves. And we did we did we did get rescued but only for actually the last little part all the difficult stuff to get out of the place we're not supposed to be in we did ourselves and for that I am very proud of us anyway moving back to this week's episode I sat down with Mike Bernhardt who is a poet and a writer based in California and today Mike releases his book Voices of the Grieving Heart This book is a beautiful book filled with poetry and artwork. The poetry has been written by both Mike and other authors from across the world and the poems are all around grief and people writing to express and deal with their grief. The theme around this week's episode is dealing with grief using a creative outlet focusing on poetry. Mike was really open and honest about how he experienced grief with the loss of his first wife. He shares a couple of poems that are beautifully written because they are just so open and I really do think Mike will help so many people across the world who, if we're being honest, grief has taken on a whole new meaning over the last year with the COVID-19 outbreak. If you'd like to know more about Mike and where you can find Voices of the Grieving Heart, I will put a link to Mike's website in the episode description along with links where you can buy the book. Let's start this week's episode. You're listening to Be Bougie, Be True, Be You with Charlotte Jones, the podcast to chat about a little bit of anything and everything. Welcome, Mike Bernhardt. Hello. Hello. It's nice to be here. Great. How are you? I'm doing great. The book is out and it has been a tremendous amount of work. I can imagine. I'm very, very excited to chat to you today because it's something that I have never really thought about before, which is dealing with grief in a creative way, having a creative outlet. So please tell us, explain what your first experience of grief was and how it felt to you. Real experience with grief was uh, in 1991, my first wife died um, rather suddenly after we'd been married about seven and a half years. So I mean, in terms of how it felt, I mean, it was devastating. Of course. Um, it was life-changing. You know, it was the worst thing that I'd ever experienced in my life. I mean, any anyone who's lost someone has some idea what that is. I don't quite know how to say it more than that right now. Of course. So what led you to writing as a way of coping with your grief at the time? Did it come to you spontaneously or was it more that you saw something that triggered the idea? 
I, I've been writing poetry and keeping a journal since I was a teenager. Generally, my writing, uh, well, poet, the journaling I did all, a lot. Uh, I would record dreams and things like that. I remember staying up most of the night and writing a poem after a breakup with a girlfriend when I was about 17. And so that wasn't really new to me. It just was something that I did when I felt like I needed to express myself. And did you find that journaling before the poetry was a real way of helping you deal with any kind of emotion in general? It was because I, I would, uh, I guess I would call myself maybe not unusually, but rather angst ridden as a teenager in particular. So it was just a way to express how I felt uh, just to, I didn't have a lot of other people to talk to. And so it was having a journal was someone to speak to. It was me. And it was a way of clarifying my thoughts and my feelings on paper. I could look at it and, uh, and just say, yeah, that's how I'm feeling. And, uh, and there would be times in the journaling in particular when uh, I would read it. And then the next day I would scribble it out and say, this is bull, you know, and I would start over again and say how I was feeling then. It was, yeah, it was like a therapist on paper. <laughs> Yeah, journaling is absolutely brilliant for things like that. So when your wife first passed away, it was journaling that you turned to first before the poetry, would you say? I would say, you know, I could probably look back uh, in my journal and find, I, I don't, I thought about getting it out, but I didn't. I would say that it probably came together. There is something unique about poetry as opposed to journaling where it really gets to the heart of the matter I think very quickly, because for me, and you know, based on my experience with collecting poems for this book, we'll talk about it. Just it, it, there's no wasted words in poetry. You don't spend time thinking about things. It's just trying to get the feelings on the paper, and then you look at it. I, when I did it, I would say, "Yeah, that's it." And it was kind of like having my words having my feelings reflected back to me from the paper was very healing and uh, consoling. I've never heard poetry described like that before. I think that's beautiful. What benefits did you find by channeling your grief into writing poetry? It helped me to deal with it. It helped to make it less overwhelming because I could look at it on the paper and I could go back to my poems if I was feeling you know, completely lost again. I could go back and look at a poem I'd written about that. And uh, again, it was a way of just having my feelings reflected back, knowing that it was mine. Somehow it made me feel less alone to see my own writing because it, it wasn't stuck inside of me anymore. That's a really thoughtful way because some people, when they are hit with grief, they, they don't know how to express it. So it builds up inside them. So you really found that a positive release, did you? Absolutely. And it got better with practice. So, you know, originally I might sort of stumble and struggle a bit to find the words, but it's it's like anything. I mean, when after a while, it would come very easily to me. And there's a there was a particular poem that I can read later. It, it got to the point where the poems wanted to come out is the best way for me to say it. it. They would just be there. There was one time when I was driving in my car, and this was probably close to a year later, in fact, um, eight months or so. 
And um, I had felt a lot of shock and, and kind of trauma from the suddenness of my wife's death. And sometimes it would just kind of wash over me. I would feel, literally, I would feel dizzy when it would hit. Um, just kind of reliving the moments of the time in the hospital and her death the following morning. And uh, it was very, very hard to deal with. And there was one time I was driving in my car and it started to wash over me again as I was driving. And I said to myself, I'm going to put this aside now. And when I have time, I'll go back and write about it. And so later that day, or possibly the next day, I don't remember, I came back, I sat down in front of my computer, and I just said, okay, now, and I closed my eyes, and I allowed myself to settle into that feeling, and I just wrote about it. After I wrote that poem, the feeling never came back. It, it was as if I had gotten it out of myself by writing about it. Oh, that's incredible, actually, and very fitting. Would you like to share that poem now? Because um, I think while we're talking about it, that was such a powerful story. Sure. Um, I will warn you that it's been 30 years. <laughs> when I read these poems, I always choke up. <laughs> Not so at all. I'll just let you know <laughs> that's how it goes. So the poem is called Sunday. Together, we survived the terrifying night of CPR and defibrillation, too many tubes and wires and doctors. My kisses on your forehead and your eyes kissing me back until your EKG exploded and they told me to leave. I sat outside in the hallway talking softly with you. In the morning, though your eyes seemed empty, I expected your recovery and went home to sleep only to be greeted by a ringing phone and an urgent voice. And I was out again, stuck in traffic on the Bay Bridge, praying, screaming at God to get me to you in time. Hoping that curses and prayers might be enough, I inched and fought my way through traffic and despair, until finally free, nearly drowning. I plunged into the streets, racing to San Francisco General. Sometimes now I like to imagine what I would have told the police if they'd noticed. I like to think that I wouldn't have pulled over. I would have just plummeted on at 70 miles per hour up Potrero Avenue, letting them catch up to me in the parking lot as I ran inside. My wife's dying, I would have screamed. But they didn't notice. I ran inside alone to find my friends crying and you dead. And that's it. Wow. Well, firstly, thank you so much for sharing that. I feel emotional. That that was very, very powerful. Um, I really appreciate you sharing that with us, which kind of leads on now to the book Voices of the Grieving Heart. When when did the idea of the book come about? It came about. <laughs> it's a good question. <laughs> I, it came about I possibly a year later, but it, it could have been the same year. So my wife died April 7th, 1991, my first wife. Mm -hmm. And so sometime that year, the idea came about. I What happened was I started looking for poetry by other people, not just my own. I had been in a grief support group, which was very helpful, actually. And I was doing my own writing, and I couldn't really find poems that spoke to me by others. I found a couple of books that had 
poems by well-known published poets, and they just didn't speak to me. Some of it was styling, because many of them tended to be from earlier in the 20th century. Um, the forms were different. The language was different. Um, there, there's something to be said for the rawness of poetry by people who are not trying to make their poetry good. It might be good in a stylistic sense, but for me, what mattered was I just wanted to read other people writing about what I was feeling. And I didn't find that. And so I set out to get other people's poetry. And this was 1991-1992. America Online was uh, the heart of the Internet in some ways. <laughs> so I, I put out an ad there on some poetry forums that I saw. And I put out... Uh, there's an organization, I don't know if it's outside of the U.S., but called the Compassionate Friends. And they specialize in uh, supporting people who've lost um, siblings or children or parents. And so I put out an ad through them and the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross Center existed at that time that they had a newspaper that I put an ad in. I've actually got that ad in front of me. I, I kept the newspaper that it appeared in. I'll just read you part of the ad. So I wrote, Wanted, poetry submissions for a book of poetry dealing with grief and the process of healing that follows the death of someone we love. Nearly all books currently available on grief are directed toward understanding it in its various stages. I want to direct this book toward the heart, toward healing, through the creative expressions of others who have been through it or are going through it themselves. I want to use works primarily by unknown or relatively unknown authors so that readers can more easily identify with them. A one-liner about the book might be poetry by people like you and me who wrote about their grief and healing. I'm looking for poetry, any style, or perhaps a journal or diary entry. I'm interested in line drawings or other black and white artwork as well. Quality in the academic sense is less important than how well the poem expresses what it sets out to express. I've said I'm interested in work that speaks of human experience, not abstract philosophy. And that's part of it, is I've read many poems that talk about grief in an abstract sense, like a Hallmark card, you know? Right, yeah. And I didn't want that. I didn't want to be told what to feel. I didn't want to be told it was all going to be okay because it wasn't going to be okay. So I received over 200 poems back in 1992-ish and a number of drawings. And uh, I sorted through all of those to um, come up with poems that spoke to me and I organized them based on my experience of grief at that time. And I ended up with, out of those 200 or plus, I ended up with 65 poems by 45 contributors. Seven of those poems were mine, but the rest were all by others. And that became the first edition of Voices of the Grieving Heart, which I published in 1994. That's incredible. And I was going to ask, which you've kind of answered the question, but what kind of response did you get to the, to the advert? Obviously, you had the 200 poems and artwork, but did people reach out to you and say that they felt the same? Could they relate to what you were talking about? You know, one of the most unexpected things was letters that I would receive from people with their poems. And they would tell me that this was the first time they had ever shared that poem 
that they had never felt safe sharing it, but they felt that this was the right place for it. And people would tell me their stories, the background to the poems, and several people who had lost their, a parent as a youngster and had never been able to properly grieve. They weren't well supported. You know, they told me it took 20 or 30 years before they finally learned enough about themselves to seek help. And they had written this poem as a result of that, and they wanted to share it with me. So the stories I got were incredible. I felt really honored to be allowed into people's private lives that way. What I think is so lovely about that is you have created a space for so many people to be able to connect with their grief and express it in a way that they would never have done before had you not come up with this idea. And obviously, the reason we're speaking today is very exciting because it is the re-release of Voices of the Grieving Heart. It's actually out today. So obviously, that's quite a big gap between when you first released the book. So what's made you, what made you want to re-release the book this year? It was interesting because for the longest time, I mean, as my life came back together, although my grief changed me in very profound ways. In many ways, I had moved on. Um, I remarried in uh, 1993, and my current wife, the person I married then, you know, was very understanding and helpful with everything. I started a new career, and I, I really didn't write much um, at all for the longest time. And we had spoken about the value of possibly re-releasing this book, but and we would think about it, and I would consider it, and then just it would always end up on the back burner, and then I'd forget about it again. And really, it was the pandemic that brought it back, um, with so many people dying and so much grief in the world, not just because of death, but because of everything related to it, as you well know, the loss of, of lifestyle, the loss of of freedom, you know, the loss of connecting with others, um, and also the loss of an ability to grieve when we do lose someone um, has been very challenging for, for many people during the pandemic. The fact that you can't just gather and have a funeral and hug each other and, and go and, you know, share food and all of that. You know, I remember after the service that we had for my wife, after she died, I went to a restaurant with some of her closest friends who had flown out from uh, other states to come. And um, we had such a wonderful time. It was such a relief for me and a release to have the service over with. And it was just a beautiful evening together. And that would be impossible now. I mean, at some point, hopefully later this year, it will be possible. But the isolation that's caused by the pandemic is just a, a very unique time. And, and so it became apparent that this book needed to be out there again. And so that's why we decided to publish it. It was just the time. Um, grief is everywhere. And I wanted to uh, to support people with that. And this time around, what kind of poems did you receive from people? Were they different because of the pandemic? Well, what I did was uh, my original plan was to just release the first book again. And I kind of tried to look for a, maybe a few poems that had to do with the pandemic, just because I thought people would be interested in that. And... This might be a time to mention, I have a friend named John Fox, 
his his title is Practitioner of Poetic Medicine, and um, he's written a couple of books. His whole mission in life is supporting people in healing through poetry, healing whatever they're going through. He has a he has a nonprofit organization called the Institute for Poetic Medicine, and he's got a mailing list of about thirty three hundred people who are mostly people who either write poetry or teach poetry as healing. And so he sent out a new call for submissions to that mailing list. And again, I received another couple of hundred poems. And, and we had asked specifically for poems about the pandemic or about loss during the pandemics. Uh, I received a lot of those. And I also received a lot of poems that weren't related to the pandemic. And so the new edition of the book, the first edition, as I said, has 65 poems by 45 authors. The new edition has over 130 poems by 83 authors. It's just remarkable, the response that I got. There were so many people, again, who wanted to share what they'd written. In some ways, I think because of the audience who received that particular call, the quality of the poems has changed. There are, there are more that I would say are better stylistically, but my criterion, my only criterion <laughs> was, again, does it speak to me? Does it tell the truth about grief? And there were, well, I guess, and there was, there was a second, which was really more kind of listening to, to my intuition. Does this poem belong in the book? Um, and so there were exceptions to things. Uh, there, was, uh, there were a couple of poems that were not about the death of a particular loved one, which is what I had requested, because they just spoke to me so perfectly. There's one that I can read to you. Yes, and I I'd almost love to used hear that. it. Yeah, I almost used it as a uh, kind of as an invocation. It's called To Hold the Loss. Before the pandemic losses, the half million mark for America the global landscapes of loneliness, the giving birth alone, the dying alone, isolated ceremonies of loss without the shoulder to cry on, without the loaves of comfort offered by the auntie, the neighbor, the friend. I could turn my attention to clamshells, pebbles, the pleasures of sand underfoot, the beautiful insignificance of my footprints, and the metronomes of the tides. In this year of unspeakable loss, like I once collected shells and stones, I look for words to name this grief that no pocket is large enough to hold. Standing at this familiar beach, I now look for seals swimming in our northwest waters, only to dream for a moment that we might slip out of our skin into something beyond us where our shared grief might lodge. What if we could submerge and learn to breathe underwater? Would it make our hearts larger? Would we learn to hold the losses and breathe with them in the depths of this grief we share? That's by a woman named Myrna Ann Hecht. I really see what you mean. It was such a beautiful poem. And again, thank you for sharing that with us. It's very real. You can feel the emotions coming through. I mean, you read them very well, but you can generally <laughs> tell when... It, like you said, authentic. It's very authentic. I've experienced grief and it, I felt that you can just, you can relate to that. And like you said, over the last year, grief has almost taken on a whole new meaning in a lot of ways because of this isolation, because of all the changes we have had to make. We've had to grieve for so many different losses that aren't just around 
losing a loved one and I thought that was beautiful yeah and it was a rule like I said I I, uh, I had my rules about what was going to go in and what wouldn't go in and and uh, I said I'm the author I can break my own rule so that's what I did and I put that one in there and I personally believe that is what makes the better outcome of a final product because it's again it's true to you and it's it's just really, really lovely. You were talking about your friend, John Fox, and I've never heard of... Did, so did you say Professor of Poetic Medicine? Um, practitioner, practitioner of Poetic Medicine, yeah. Yes. So what does that mean? I'm intrigued. I'll just give you a little bit of a quote from a book that he wrote called Poetic Medicine. Poetry is a natural medicine. It is like a homeopathic tincture derived from the stuff of life itself your experience. Poems speak to us when nothing else will. Poetry helps us to feel our lives rather than just be numb. The page, touched with our poem, becomes a place for painful feelings to be held, explored, and transformed. And he has been extremely supportive of this book. He wrote a preface for me that's just amazing. The whole concept of poetic medicine is really one that is starting to take hold in our country, in our planet, at least in this country. There have been newspaper articles about it. Even CNN had an article about it, about poetry to express grief. I think it's really beginning to be understood that poetry is a very unique medium for writing because the point of it is to get to the point, to express images rather than concepts and feelings rather than concepts. I already, in the half an hour or so we've been speaking, I've learnt a lot more about poetry than I ever have before. It's not, especially in the UK, it's generally not something that I feel is is widely spoken about. I, I was really trying to think where you said with medicine, like it is, writing is so powerful. And I think that is why, going back to what we were talking about earlier with journaling, that's why it's always so encouraged now when people are suffering with things like anxiety or depression, because right, it, it shows just how powerful writing can be. And I think it would be brilliant if we could draw more attention to poetry and just all the ways it can help people to express their feelings in such a direct way, but the directness in all the right ways, if that makes sense. Like it's like you said, just getting to the point, getting to what you're really feeling, because I don't think there is nearly enough of that. I think especially over here in the UK, it's still very much stiff upper lip, you know, express your emotions little and often as and when is acceptable. And I think that the rawness and realness of poetry, like you said, once you wrote that poem down after your drive, you, that feeling you dealt with it, it it went away and I think that is incredible because when we don't let these feelings out they can sit there for years and years and years and I think what's so lovely about your book is when people have written to you and said I didn't feel safe to share this but now they do with you you are giving those people an outlet and a way of coping in a way that they haven't had. And I think that is just absolutely amazing, to be honest. What would you hope to achieve with the second release of Voices of the Grieving Heart? I would say that my hope for this book, that it, number one, that people are able to find themselves in the book. The, there's such a variety of poems and also a variety of losses. Uh, there are a number of poems that relate to people who died by suicide. There are poems by people who lost parents. There are uh, parent, people who lost children and siblings and spouses um, for, for a variety of reasons. 
And um, there's, there's poems about stillbirth and miscarriage. Um, just the whole gamut of the reasons that people die. So I hope that people can find themselves in the book, at least if they find one poem that really speaks to them in there. I know for me, it was extremely healing when I did find poems or books that spoke to me. And in 1993, they were the, the, they were all difficult to find. I still don't see any other books quite like this one out there. There have been a few books that came out. One one came out actually in 1993 about by a woman who had lost her husband. And that book was the first one that really spoke to me because she wasn't trying to be prescriptive in any way. She was just speaking her truth. And I felt my own truth in hers, if you know what I mean. Yes. And so, um, and she actually ended up writing a very nice endorsement for the first edition of this book. That's one thing. There are a couple of things that I've added to the book besides just more poems. One is that um, I was able to reconnect with a number of the contributors to the first book. And so I, I asked them some questions about where they were now with their loss. And it was fascinating because I I really didn't get the responses I was expecting to. I think for me, having lost my first wife when I was in my early 30s, although, it, as I said at the very beginning, it was devastating at the time, but I did meet someone new and my life has been wonderful. And I thank my first wife for the wonderful life I have because I wouldn't be who I am without her and without that loss. But I have a full life. What surprised me, maybe, but probably shouldn't have, is that a number of the people have not, they've moved on, but I wouldn't say that they've healed in the way I feel like I've healed. It, the loss is still with them. They may not cry much over it, but it's with especially people who lost children. It will never leave them. There's one woman in the book who had a stillbirth in the 1960s. So it's 50 years later, and she still grieves the daughter that she never had. She had four sons after that, after that child died. But now that she's older, in her 70s, she says that she looks at mothers and daughters when she's walking on the street and she longs for that particular type of relationship that she never got to have. You know, everybody is different. And so I have, what I did was I collected people's responses into a section at the uh, near the back of the book um, called Time Passes. And I sometimes their answers were quite long and I edited them down, but, uh, and some of them were very short. But I, I wanted to, it's almost like a vertical study. You know, essentially, I've gone back to people who contributed in the early 90s. And here's what they have to say now about that loss or about other losses they've had since. And a few of them sent me poems that they had written fairly recently uh, that I've included in the book. And it, it's really wonderful reading. And then the other thing that I did in this book is I put an, another section in the back where I'm inviting people to write their own poetry. And uh, I got a little bit of advice from John Fox about how they could use this book to um, inspire their own poetry by um, picking a poem that speaks to them and picking a particular line of that poem that speaks to them 
and using that as a prompt to begin their own poem. And then I put 10 blank pages in the back of the book where if they want, they can write that poem and keep it in this book along with the others. One of the things I'm hoping for this book is that because people can't gather, I mean, a Zoom support group is better than nothing, but it's not the same. You know, as human beings, we need to be with other human beings in person, you know, to be able to touch or pass a tissue, you know, to see each other's faces. And there's, you know, there's a different experience when you're in a room with someone rather than on a screen. And so I'm hoping that maybe this book will help people to have that human connection a bit more, even though they can't be in person with someone. I think sitting with some of the poems in this book, it's like having a friend sitting with you. I think that's a lovely way to describe it. And from the poems that you shared, very, very true, because the more raw and real, the more you relate and the more you connect. So I completely agree with that. And I think that, again, it's just, it's very thoughtful for other people who are dealing with such an awful thing, such as grief. I just wanted to touch on something you mentioned about when you reached out to people who wrote for the first edition of the book and how they were dealing with grief all these years later. You felt you've dealt with it and you're at peace with it, whereas some people still aren't. Do you think maybe that could be to do with it depends on the the type of relationship to the person you had that you're grieving for? I think it is um, because I knew other people whose spouses had died and I would say it's possible for whatever reason that um, that that sort of thing can be a little easier for men if we're not too old. It seems like it's just kind of the, the nature of being male, not necessarily in a biological sense, but at least in a you know, in an internal sense Mm -hmm. or of masculinity, I don't know what, but that we do seek out a new relationship. I think uh, I've seen that there are more women who, especially older, choose to remain single for whatever reason. But certainly losses of children, in in a certain sense, I replaced my wife. Of course, I didn't really, but the whole that that her loss created was filled by someone new. But what I learned from, I guess it was, I knew it in an abstract sense, but what I learned from reading what people sent me was that the hole that a child leaves behind can never be filled. And um, one of the sad things that that I saw in a particular person's response, she lost, her son died in a car accident when he was 15 years old. She talks about how maybe three or four years on, she was having lunch with some friends and she was feeling, she was missing her son. And her friend said, don't you think it's time to get over this and move on already? And it was just crushing to her because, you know, how do you move on from the loss of a child? It's, I just don't, if I lost my son who I had with my uh, second wife, I mean, I would recover, but would I ever move on? Would I ever stop missing him? I doubt it. I, I don't see how I could. There's no one can replace a child. No, and I think from what you've said with the, the lady you were speaking about with her friend, you can't really tell somebody how to grieve or how long they need to grieve for. Everybody needs to grieve in whatever time works for them. You can't rush this sort of thing. Exactly. And it's also not true that no one gets over the loss of a child. I, I don't personally know anyone who did, but there is no right way. 
And, you know, I think the other side of it is that people can feel very guilty because maybe they do feel that they're recovering or that they're moving on. And I think it's very normal to feel a lot of guilt about that. I certainly felt it for a long time after I lost my first wife that it felt like it was wrong to not miss her for an hour. And, uh, you know, all of those feelings are normal and there's there's just no right or wrong way. And I think it's important for people to know that um, their truth is their truth and it's all okay. And we each have to find our own path. I completely agree. And that leads me on to dealing with grief when it comes to this kind of thing. Is there anything that you know now that you wish you had known when you first experienced grief? It's an interesting question. Somebody asked me a somewhat similar question, and I'm not sure I know the answer, but I'll attempt one. And the question that he asked was, what would you today tell yourself 30 years ago about how things were going to go for you. And it's a little bit different, but I don't think that there's anything that I wish I could have known differently. I was in a very unique position in that when my first wife died, I was unemployed. <laughs> and um, although that created its own problems financially, I had nothing to do. I had nowhere I had to be. And so I was free to just grieve. And I would take long walks. I would speak to the people to whom I wanted to speak. I had a grief support group I went to weekly. I was seeing a therapist for several months who supported me through that. So I had a few friends who understood and who I could call on when I when I really needed just a friend who knew me. So I was in a very fortunate position and not everybody's that lucky. So I would say that there's nothing that I wish I knew then that I know now. And in terms of my friend's question to me, which is slightly different. It's very difficult because the one thing that I know about grieving is that I would not have wanted to hear, it's all going to turn out, you're going to be okay. I, I had thought about when, if somebody had told me that everything, that you're going to meet someone new, you're going to have a great life, you'll have a child, all of this stuff. My first wife was unable to bear children. Uh, or at least it was unsafe. She had a congenital heart problem that was rather serious, but stable for years, but it became unstable and that's why she ended up dying. But if somebody had told me all of those things, I would have said, I don't care. Just give me Susan back. I really don't know that there's anything that I would tell myself other than you're going to be okay. I'm sorry it's so hard for you. And even I'm sorry it's so hard for you sounds kind of demeaning. I think it's just it, probably the best thing I would be able to tell myself would be, I understand how difficult it is. I've been there. I think that's a really honest answer. So thank you. And thank you for being so open in our conversation today. I, I really feel you will help a lot of people when it comes to having to face something as traumatic as grief in any way, shape or form. The book is out today, Voices of the Grieving Heart. So Mike, tell us, where can we find the book? Well, you can find it on Amazon and Book Depository right now. And in the next couple of weeks, you should be able to get it pretty much anywhere. And you can also go to my website, mikebernhardt.net, and there'll be a button there to purchase. 
Perfect. I will put the links for everything you've just said there in the description for the episode as well. So if you'd like to use the direct link, you'll be able to find it on the episode description. Voices of the Grieving Heart, that is out now. And I think, again, from what you've shared today and what I've seen in previous conversations, it is definitely something to check out. So thank you so much, Mike, for joining me. Thank you very much for having me.